please keep your Bibles open there in Galatians 2. But I'd also like you to open another book. Uh, In your imagination, you're going to have to do this. Open up uh, in your mind uh, a dictionary. Just imagine you have a dictionary and uh, I want you to open up uh, that dictionary and look up the word righteousness. Righteousness. Think about that word for a moment. Righteousness. Try to imagine in that dictionary in your mind, uh, on that page, what the definition might be. What would it say there under righteousness? Maybe the page looks blank in your mind. (laughs) It's hard on the spot, isn't it? But see if you can write some kind of answer in there. What do you think, by gut instinct, what, what do you think that that word righteousness means? I did this thought exercise through the week too and, and, and I, I ended up thinking, well, well, mine would probably say something like a state of having done things right, living a good life free of sin. I don't know, it's hard, isn't it, on the spot, but something like that, I reckon, my dictionary would probably say righteousness is something or other about being good, isn't it? I checked Google. After coming up with my answer, I, I checked Google the quality of being morally right or justifiable. Yeah, that's more or less what I thought. Thank you, Google. Righteousness, it's about being morally upright, isn't it? Is that what you had on your page? Something like that? Google got it a bit sharper than I had it, so, so let's run with that. Righteousness, the quality of being morally right or justifiable. Now I want you to imagine that there's a little number one at the start of that definition. You know the way that dictionaries do that when a word has different meanings or uses. Uh, Let's call that definition about being morally right or justifiable definition number one. Or maybe R1, righteousness. Morally right or justifiable. That's R1. And now let me give you a second definition. So go ahead and write a little number two on the page underneath that first definition. A little number two uh, on the page of the dictionary in your mind and then write in this definition. The state of trusting in God. The state of trusting in God. And let's call that definition number two or R2 righteousness. Trusting in God. They're very different definitions, aren't they? R1, to be morally right or justifiable. R2, to trust in God. You probably won't get that second definition from Google or or your dictionaries at home on your bookshelf. They're, They're probably only going to give you that first kind of definition, something about being good. But in the Bible, that second kind of righteousness is actually far more important, trusting in God. And we're going to see that front and centre in our text today in Galatians 2. So I want you to keep that visual picture in your mind of that page in the dictionary open with those two different kinds of righteousness listed in it. Because if we can crack this passage in Galatians here, it's going to take us right into the heart of the gospel that Jesus gave us. Let's start where the action is uh, here in Galatians 2 and verse 11 and and we'll work our way towards the teaching on righteousness as we go. Uh, Paul uh, here in this passage describes a a confrontation that he had with Cephas or 
Cephas, if you like it that way, or Peter. Can we call him Peter? That's what he was otherwise known as, Peter. The Apostle Peter came to visit the church in Antioch where Paul was. And here's what happened, verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This church in Antioch, of course, is a Christian church. There are Jews there who had become Christians, and there were also non-Jews there, or Gentiles as they're called, non-Jews who had also become Christians. What makes someone a Christian is that they trust in Jesus Christ, of course, and that's something anyone can do. So it's an interesting context in, in Antioch here because uh, this very early church was learning its way through this new kind of territory, this coming together of two people groups who formerly were very separate in their, their life and practice, Jews and Gentiles coming together because they've both been saved together into this one new church of Jesus Christ. And at first when he arrived there, Peter enjoyed fellowship at Antioch as part of this one new exciting uh, people group. They, they were all just Christians now, praise be to God. But then some other visitors came from Jerusalem, seemingly uh, Jewish believers, but uh, this time uh, now uh, Peter suddenly felt the pressure to live the way Jews used to live before Jesus' gospel. He, he separated himself away from the Gentile believers in the church as uh, the, uh, the two people groups used to do under the old Jewish customs. There would be a, a separateness in how they lived their lives. And then all the other Jewish believers at Antioch in this church were, were led astray in the same way, we read there in the text. They were all pressured, or at least they felt the peer pressure to demonstrate their own uh, upright kind of behavior in terms of their cultural customs when these new Jewish visitors arrived. Uh, they started thinking again in terms of an R1 kind of righteousness, wanting to be seen as upright in their conduct by the visiting Jews, who presumably they were R1 kind of thinkers as well. And so here's what was going on under the surface in that church at Antioch. Our default human instinct is that we want to stand before God and, and before others in, in an R1 kind of righteousness. We want to be justified. We want to be validated by how we live our lives. We want to be considered morally right or, or justifiable, as Google put it, in our actions. That's our instinct, our hardwired instinct on righteousness. But nobody can truly claim to be righteous in that R1 sense. Because deep down, none of us truly are morally right or justifiable. Maybe in our own eyes or in the eyes of those around us, but, but not in God's eyes, not in truth. And so, something about our instinct on righteousness 
is wrong. But here's the gospel. If we have faith in Jesus Christ, who died for our unrighteousness, then we're by definition trusting in God. And by definition, therefore, we are righteous. By way of that second, the the R2 definition. We trust in God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we stand justified as righteous. But only by that R2 way. You know, Christians know that R2 gospel truth. We know it. But it's a very hard thing to change our hardwired instinct about R1 and wanting to be seen as R1. And we see that play out here in in Galatians 2 where the net result of all this going on in that church in Antioch is that Peter and the other Jewish believers were actually modelling, by their behaviour doing this, they're modelling that there is somehow two different classes of Christian in that church. Gentile Christians who should be over there and Jewish Christians who should be over here. But that just can't be. That just can't be in the church because there isn't two Gospels of how we can be accepted by God, but only one Gospel. We are only considered righteous by our faith. And so we shouldn't pretend otherwise to one another. Can you imagine how this must have made the Gentile Christians in the church feel? Well, aside from feeling awful and worthless, I mean, uh, it seems they also must have then in turn felt pressured to take on uh, the Jewish customs too and, and live according to those too by Paul's words there at the end of verse 14. The Jewish believers in Antioch had fallen back in, into an R1 way of thinking which undoes the gospel that Jesus gave us of this R2 righteousness by faith for all who believe. And it was undoing the whole church. And so Paul had to confront Peter for the sake of the gospel. Because the gospel proclaims an R2 righteousness, not R1. We are justified, we are declared righteous, not by our character or behavior or our works, or how other people see us, or how we see ourselves, no, but by our faith in Jesus Christ. Paul had the pastoral eyes to see that underneath the behavior in Antioch, there was, there was a deeper conflict going on in these people's hearts about their whole sense of identity and their place in Jesus' church. Note how clearly Paul defends the, the R2 gospel righteousness and, and rejects our default human instinct towards R1, Peter stood condemned, he says in verse 11. Peter stood condemned. Condemned because he had turned away from the R2 righteousness that removes our condemnation. His actions were hypocritical, verse 13. Because Peter preached the R2 gospel based on faith, but then himself has cracked under pressure and, and fallen back into this R1 way of thinking. And others were led astray from the gospel, verse 13. This this is not the gospel. This is to be led astray from the gospel. What they were doing was purely and simply out of step with the gospel, verse 14. And so look at how Paul 
correct Peter, particularly by the comprehensive words that then come in verse 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, he tells Peter in the, in the old way of thinking about these things. Yet, verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That word justified there that Paul keeps repeating gets us back to our righteousness definitions. To be justified is to be declared righteous. And five times in that verse, verse 16, five times Paul captures exactly what we're talking about in terms of this R1 and R2 language today. We're not declared righteous or justified by our own efforts. We're justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Five ways of saying those things and so, so clear. It does not matter if you're a Jew who has the Jewish customs and follows them or a Gentile who hasn't and doesn't. Nobody stands before God and and, and is declared righteous in terms of their own efforts. There is no R1 gospel. So how can we live out our faith in the church as if there is? Presumably verses 17 through 19 give us a sense of the kind of pressure that these new visitors, these R1 thinking visitors were putting on Peter and and all the other people in the church, saying that Peter, by his eating with the Gentiles, was a sinner, or at least making him feel that way about himself. But how can that be, argues Paul? How can Peter, who has been justified by his faith in Christ, be regarded as a sinner because of some cultural custom? That's the danger of this whole R1 trap to our thinking. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Verse 18. Or in other words, Peter, if you want to re-invoke all those demands of R1 righteousness, all, all you're going to achieve is is to declare yourself unrighteous because, verse 16, and so many times, no one will be declared righteous by their own works or obedience. So don't go back to that way of thinking, Paul is telling us here. We have died to the law and its demands for righteousness under our own merit. That R1 kind of righteousness was beyond our reach and so it could never have saved us. No, but instead we've been given life in this way, by the righteousness that comes through faith. I have been crucified with Christ, verse 20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So I live by faith, Paul says. That's not to say that obedience or or even traditions and customs aren't good for us. It's simply that those things cannot save us. And so we can't let the church model Christian life as if they can. This passage is is not entirely just about the law or or obedience, and, and nor even is it really about Jewish cultural customs. 
Peter and those who followed him wanted to be seen as righteous in and of themselves. They had an R1, R2 conflict in their hearts and, and Paul diagnosed and resolved that for them. This distinction we're talking about here between those two kinds of righteousness is, is crucial. So just in case we've missed it, let me capture the thrust of Paul's urgency here. If we fall back into hoping in our efforts to be righteous, well then we've missed the only hope of righteousness that there is. No, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If there could ever be a hope of R1 righteousness that you and I could attain to by our own efforts, then Christ died for nothing. But there isn't. And so he didn't. He died for our unrighteousness. And uh, and now uh, all those who live by faith in him and the forgiveness that he has secured for us at the cross for our unrighteousness all of us are declared righteous by way of faith in him and what he did for us you can probably tell by the heading in the next section of the letter if you're looking at the page there in Galatians 2 uh, that Paul's not finished uh, teaching this fundamental uh, R2 kind of truth just yet but I'm going to leave you to read that more into chapter 3 and so on later on. Read the whole letter if you can later. For now, let me just capture all of that, that teaching for you real quick. The only way for us to be declared righteous is by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. And none of your works, your obedience, your customs, or your traditions, or your character, or your anything is going to get you there. Only your faith in Jesus Christ. And everything else you have won't ever actually add up to righteousness. So don't live with your hope in that. And nor let others pressure you into thinking that kind of way again. But live for this R2 definition of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Because it does see you declared righteous by the very promise of God. As I say, Christians know this R2 gospel truth, but this is actually a really hard thing for us to grasp in full and to have it fully sink into the depths of our heart and change the way we live and think and act among one another. As we can see here in this passage, by the way, that even the Apostle Peter fell to this default kind of pressure that we're all hardwired with by instinct on righteousness. Peter, of all people. Peter, who proclaims the R2 gospel of righteousness through faith. Peter, who, uh, just on this matter at hand, three times Peter had had that epic vision in Joppa, in Acts 10, if you remember, where, where God showed him not to think of Gentiles as unclean anymore. And then sent him to uh, Cornelius, the Gentiles' house, to usher in the age of salvation for the Gentiles. Do you remember that monumental stage of history? And Peter at the spearhead of it. 
Peter, who in Acts 11 would uh, report all of that stuff back to the church in Jerusalem, to which the whole church glorified God, Acts 11.18. They glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Peter, of all people, had to wrestle with this totally counterintuitive, counter-instinct gospel of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. This is not going to come naturally to any of us, brothers and sisters. Martin Luther, writing at a crucial point in church history and, and writing at length on this letter to the Galatians, said this, <laughs> I'm making such a point of all this to keep anyone from supposing that the doctrine of faith is an easy matter. Oh, it is indeed easy to talk about, but it is hard to grasp, and it is easily obscured and lost. Therefore let us with all diligence and humility devote ourselves to the study of sacred scripture and to serious prayer, lest we lose the truth of the gospel. We have to keep resetting our hearts on this truth, because this is the way of salvation. And when it really starts to sink in, it it really starts to set us free. And it changes the way we live and act. And it changes the way we do everything, really, this, this R2 gospel of righteousness that comes through faith. It affects our day-to-day, just individually, our day-to-day, because we continue to learn all our lives that all we have is trust. At the end of the day, all we have is trust. And all the way... To the end of our life, we, we only can understand more and more. I, I have nothing but what Christ did for me. And yet so too, we understand more and more that that is all we need. It affects how we walk into church, this gospel. It affects how we walk beside other Christians. We learn from this incident here that There is only one kind of Christian, and we're all in this together. All of us are declared righteous purely by trusting God's gift to us in Jesus Christ. If you feel high or proud or or special uh, somehow, like these visiting Jews, then, then this R2 gospel brings you right back down to ground zero. You're only righteous, because of Jesus Christ. But then again, if you feel on the other end of the spectrum, somehow as if you're unclean, like the Gentile believers must have felt at Antioch there, then this R2 gospel lifts you right up high into the true righteousness that God has declared over his people. By faith, you are righteous too. It's got to affect how we interact with one another in God's church. So too it affects how we interact with non-believers outside the church of Jesus. What we really need to make sure we do above above everything else is, is to tell those people and model to those people this R2 reality. We're no better or more deserving than they are. All we have on the score of righteousness is what 
came to us from God. We trust in him. We trust in him. That's it. We trust in him. That is our gospel. And this gospel defines where everyone stands in the eyes of God, whether Jew or Gentile or or any other label you might think of today. Only through faith in Christ can someone be declared righteous before God. And that has to shape how we see ourselves and those around us. It challenges, uh, it changes our very wiring, this teaching. We still want to pursue good. We still want to live morally right lives, but that's in response to this gospel that declares us righteous, not as a way to try to secure it for ourselves. You see, the difference is, and you'll, you'll see this if you map your way through the rest of Galatians, that we're not pursuing godly living now so that we might gain acceptance in God's sight, but because we have already gained acceptance in God's eyes through faith in Jesus Christ. Our pursuit of what is right and good, our, our pursuit of that R1 kind of righteousness is, is simply our response to the R2 righteousness that God has already declared over us through our faith in Jesus Christ. And so all of our deepest wiring and, and, and our deepest motive, our, our, our fundamental motive is now completely different and and completely and utterly free. We're simply pursuing what Jesus teaches us because we love him and because he has already loved us this way and, and given himself for this new righteousness that we've been granted through our faith in him. You're going to have to wrestle with these two different definitions. The the righteousness uh, one and the righteousness two. It's probably going to be a wrestle perhaps for the rest of your life because it goes against our grain. But I hope you can see the two things clearly in this text and that now uh, this case example in Antioch can help you to see it all through the scriptures. Our instinct on righteousness needs to be rewired according to what God declares on that matter in these scriptures. So let that R2 definition slowly sink into the very depth of your life. The righteousness that is all about trusting in God. The righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Let that definition of righteousness sink in all through your heart and all through your life and and see what kind of changes it makes. And let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scriptures and for this uh, example we're looking at today of this church in Antioch and the teaching that comes with it, Lord. Help us to understand these two kinds of righteousness and as Paul says here, help us to understand these two fundamental truths about who we are. One, we cannot be declared righteous by our own efforts. And yet, two, in your generosity, you have declared over us a righteousness 
that comes simply through our faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for our unrighteousness so that we can be found righteous in you. Help this teaching sink into our lives, Lord. May it fill our hearts with a newness and a, a joy as we try to understand it more and more and help it shape the way that we live together as your people in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.